Welcome back. Richard, last week we talked about bipolar disorder and we, we sort of gave an update uh, as far as what bipolar disorder is and what it's not, and maybe more specifically. And this week we thought we would expand that a little bit and just talk about mental illness in general. Uh, right. there, there's a lot of, there's always a lot of talk about mental illness and what mental health uh, conditions, uh, how, how prevalent they are, who has them, who doesn't have them, the, the, the whole controversy, I guess, as it relates to the stigma and in, in the, the hesitation a lot of people have in getting support with mental, for mental health issues. And so we thought we would kind of do an overview and talk a little bit about mental illness uh, on today's podcast. Right. Um, you and I were talking the other day about mental health, mental illness in general, because of the pandemic, you know, the, the, it's, hard to, it's hard to do so many things these days without talking about the pandemic. But we were talking about the, the, how the pandemic, how the restrictions imposed by the pandemic have exacerbated uh, symptoms of, of uh, mental illness. And we were discussing that sort of in general. And, um, and about the same time, we had a discussion, maybe a few days later, we had a discussion about how difficult it is to talk to parents to say the words, you know, your child has a mental illness or you have a mental illness. And that's a very difficult thing for a lot of people to hear. And we find ourselves saying it more and more frequently right. during these very difficult times. Um, and it's especially difficult uh, for parents to accept, you know, it's, it's one thing for adults because adults typically will come in and say, hey, there's something wrong. I'm, I'm feeling this or I'm feeling that, or, you know, my symptoms are getting worse or um, I'm really struggling with, alcohol or I'm struggling with my marriage. With children, it's a little bit different because first of all, they don't know um, what's going on, but it's difficult for parents because it's, it's very, very difficult for many parents to even begin to imagine that, that, that one of their children might have a mental illness. Right. Okay. So, um, so as, as we were talking, we, we discovered that, you know, our patients or our clients sort of fall into several categories. Right. One is this, this whole group that really wants a diagnosis. Right. You know, I mean, I, I have to have something wrong with me, right? Right. Yeah, and there's the, the whole, um, you know, Munchausen. Um, and then there's Munchausen and there's Munchausen by proxy. Those are right. two different things. Um, right. Yeah, people who want to be sick or people who, um, who, who fake sickness. We, there are certainly situations like right. in the legal world where people um, would want to have a mental health condition or want to at least present or make people believe that they have a mental health condition to get out of something or to gain something. Right. Um, so there's that, that, yeah, there's that whole category of people who, who want a diagnosis. for right. something. And we, we talk about people, Oh, she's so dramatic or he's so dramatic or he's so this or he's so that. And for many of those people, it, it sort of brings um, an extra measure of drama if they have, oh, I have bipolar disorder. I have maybe I have this or I have that. And so it, it almost uh, provides some additional status if they have a mental illness. Um, and then there's those who they want an explanation. They come to you seeking an explanation and they accept it and they work with you. Okay. And then there's a third group that just denies it. They, they deny and they resist. And, you know, you, you try to explain to them that, um, and I think that's what we're dealing with this third group in many of the parents is that they just, they just cannot accept that it might be a mental, that whatever they're, whatever they're struggling with, it can't be a mental illness. Right. And there are those, then there's a fourth group 
and they avoid it altogether. Right. Uh, and we typically see that with substance abuse or whatever. I don't, I don't have a drinking problem. Right. Well, well, and we really don't even see those folks all that much because they don't That's even care. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the deny and resist, uh, you know, that group is, is interesting because um, it, it's sort of like those individuals, especially if we're talking about parents and they're, they're talking about their kids, um, they, they want an explanation, but they don't want it to be a mental illness. And so they, they, they push it off on, no, it's intentional behavior. It's, they're doing it deliberately. They're, you know, they're, they're trying to take out that mental health component and insert right. just a purely behavioral, we need to, we need to fix this problem. Yeah. And, and frequently we'll hear things like, well, she's just trying to get attention. This is all just attention seeking or um, it's, it's attention seeking behavior or there it's a phase, you know, it's just a phase that she's going through or, well, I was like this when I was his age, you know, and, and, and I turned out okay. You know, so you, you typically, and those are, those are sort of a, a garden variety avoidance mechanisms. You know, I don't want to come to terms with the reality. So I conjure up all these other explanations. that mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the other, the other um, thing that happens is sometimes we get people who are in between. So right. like, right. Um, I think one of the most challenging um, situations to, to find ourselves in is when a person comes to our office, having had a, a diagnosis made, um, right. and they, they wanted the explanation, they got it, they accepted it, and then they come and see sort of somebody else for a second opinion or something, and that person disagrees. True. And then yeah. now they get into a situation where, where they're denying and resisting the idea that it could be something else because they want, they, they are so um, satisfied with having that initial explanation that right. they don't want to accept that it could be something different. Right, right. So there, there's a lot of, lot of gray with this as well. That's right. And so, and parents, you know, whether if you're an adult coming in, uh, it's, it's, it's one thing because you can have this uh, conversation with an individual or an individual and, and the person's spouse. With children, it's a little different. Parents come in and parents also fall into these same categories. But during the pandemic, we noticed that um, there was there's a group of youngsters that we saw who were kind of, they were able to hang on. Mm-hmm. They had some symptoms. It might've been subclinical or very mild symptoms, but they were able to hang on because they went to school every day and there was a structure and they were involved in activities and they had their friends. And so while there were struggles and it was difficult, they were able to hang on. When the pandemic hit, right. these kids who were sort of, well, children and adults who were sort of in this gray area, suddenly their symptoms really began to um, worsen. Okay? Right. And this, the, these, this group that we're talking about were far less capable of adapting to the uh, changing landscape. Uh, and you can imagine, um, we saw most kids struggle with e-learning, Mm-hmm. schools closing, right. social distancing, quarantines. Even when they went back to school, they would go back to school for a couple of weeks and then somebody would test positive and they'd have to go back home for a couple of days or, or a week or so until it was cleared up. And they were going to go back to school. Um, kids who missed graduations and proms and homecomings and all the sort of calendar events that structure our lives. And... Um, 
these kids were far less able to adapt to all these changes. You know, losing holidays and birthdays and graduations and family vacations had a far greater effect on these kids because they, they rely on, take a kid with autism, for example. What do they need? Structure. Right. <laughs> the pandemic, it was all taken away. Absolutely. And, and that was the, I think that was the biggest thing during the, um, during the pandemic that has been the biggest thing during the pandemic for, for these, those folks, like you were mentioning, that are sort of in this gray area, because all the things that they had to assist with their coping were That's taken right. away. So they right. weren't able to see their friends. They weren't able to go out. They weren't able to do some of the things that they would normally do to be able to cope. Right. All of that was taken away. And so now they're left to cope without their coping mechanisms. Yeah. A few weeks ago, we mentioned an article about an adult who had depression. I think he was from the UK. And he said all the things that he did for treatment, which was to go out, to socialize, to be with others, they were all taken away. Right. So his symptoms were exacerbated by the isolation okay? because it, his, his interventions were taken away. So we all unraveled a bit. Uh, during the pandemic. I mean, everybody did. We were all affected by it. But some unraveled more than others. And one of the groups, whether children's teens or adults, were those who were struggling with some degree of mental health, right. even before the mental health issues, even before the pandemic hit. And so these are the kids that and we can talk about children and adults. They've been, they, they do the best when things are predictable. Right. You know, you wrote a, you wrote a column the other day about keep the summer structure, you know, don't, don't let, don't let your children go crazy, go wild during the summer, uh, staying up during the night and getting off schedule and eating differently and sleeping differently. Cause kids do better when things are predictable, when they have a schedule, uh, when they can see their friends. I mean, what's the most important thing for an adolescent? Right. Their friends. Okay? Right. Um, and they and, and they do best when every day looks pretty much the same way, okay? And 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 also when daily and monthly and yearly rhythms are maintained, like the seasons or holidays or birthdays. Those are the things that kid kids use those as anchors to keep right. them organized, okay? So these were all taken away, and symptoms got worse. Yeah, absolutely. And and the and as you mentioned the, the column the other day, it's it's not just the pandemic that does that. You know, mm -hmm. we, we do that, we impose that on ourselves, sort right. of on a on a micro level, we do that on a weekly basis when mm -hmm. you know we we're really structured from Sunday night until Friday morning and right. then we let loose on Friday night and Saturday night and we get our everything, all of those routines and systems out of out of uh, sync. Right. And then we try to get back into that rhythm again. And our, our body doesn't like that. Um, we do that over the summer or during um, right. different breaks. During holidays. We, we will, you know, change all of our routines, change all of our systems. And, and it's not, our, our body doesn't like that. Um, right. So we, that's one of the reasons why, especially in, in kids, we see a lot of those, a lot of that pushback, a lot of those behavioral mm -hmm. issues with, with children during those times. Right. Yeah. For some reason, our bodies like rhythm. Mm -hmm. They like, they like predictability. They like rhythm. It's a way we keep oriented in time and space. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> okay. But it doesn't take a pandemic. Um, and what the other thing that struck us about this is that despite all the talk about parity and parity is the, 
mental illness and physical illness should be treated the same way. Um, And that mental illness is no different than uh, physical illness. When we hear for the first time that you or a loved one has a mental illness, it sends us into sort of a panic grief reaction where we, you know, it's denial and anger and sadness and, and, and finally you get to, maybe you get to reconciliation. But there is still this stigma, this stubborn stigma that's attached to mental illness, okay? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, we're still told that, uh, just get over it. You know, people, people struggle with depression, just get over it. Or why, why do you have to obsess over this? Or why do you have to do these rituals? You know, right. just get over it, just, you're weak. You know, if we see a professional or um, a professional person, an athlete or an actor, and uh, they, they complain about being sad or anxious, so we say, what do you have to be sad about? Right. So there is this, there's this, um, the stigma attached to mental illness. Uh, we're told we're weak. We're told we we're flawed in some, in some way. Okay. But part of the problem, and we said, well, why, why do we have this stigma attached to mental illness? And one of the reasons is, is because whenever there is a senseless crime committed, what's the first thing that you hear? Oh, that person must be mentally ill. So we attach gruesome murders that Hannibal Lecter or Jeffrey Dahmer, Adam Lanza, or, you know, Klebold uh, and, and, and all those sort of gruesome, highly publicized um, crimes, murders. Um, well, they, that person must be mentally ill or a person commits a crime of passion, you know, particularly sexual assaults. And, oh, that person must be mentally ill. Okay. So that's one thing that comes to mind immediately. The second is all those movie scenes. Mm-hmm. where patients are kind of shuffling around, right. locked in uh, rooms, uh, over-medicated. Uh, they have no control. They can't. They're like prisoners in these, in these big ghastly institutions. And the third is the homeless. Okay, we see the homeless people wandering around. So when we think about mental illness, we sort of automatically jump to these three sort of over, over generalizations about mental illness. Okay? Yeah, absolutely. And there's some, you know, there's some fantastic... Um, attempts that are being made to overcome some of that. Um, it, but but you're, you're right in that we, we see those things depicted, but at the same time, we don't recognize that that is a small, small fraction. Like right. I, I think about, you know, when, when there's a movie that comes out, it's, you know, it's a big blockbuster movie and it's about a particular, <clears throat> somebody in a particular occupation, like they're in some particular field and they do these amazing things uh, as part of their work. And then, mm-hmm. you know, we don't go out and suddenly become, want to become, you know, accountants because right. we saw mm-hmm. a movie where this accountants become, you know, saves the world or something. Um, yeah. that, that doesn't happen, but yet we, we generally, because we recognize that that's a, a, an isolated, very individual based, uh, you know, you know, observation, but with mental illness, for some reason, we, we generalize that and say, oh, well, if somebody has a mental health condition, they must be doing this, or they must need that, or mm-hmm. um, you know, then they become dangerous or something right. like that. And, and it's not at all the, the case. Right. And so what we see, what makes the news or what makes movies are these extremes. Right. Okay. But, but in fact, it's not the extremes that we should be thinking about or addressing. Okay. Now, there, there, there is a small fraction of individuals 
who have those kinds of severe and debilitating mental illnesses. In today's world, it's typically people who, are, who refuse to take medication because right. now we have medications that control or, or, or reduce the symptoms of many of these disorders. But granted, there are people who are so severely involved with some kind of mental health issue that they do benefit from close supervision, um, whether it's a, a halfway house or assisted living, or um, they need some kind of supervised, um, close supervision or a secure facility, mainly to ensure their own safety and the safety of others. But these are people who, because of their mental illness, are not capable of taking care of themselves. Right. But, but, and, and then we, we immediately jump to this idea of the insane asylum, you know, which is this almost Gothic uh, proportions or, um, um, you know, these, these pictures of people in locked up in institutions or one flew over the cuckoo's nest, you know, where we, we have this sort of image in our head. Right. In fact, as we were doing preparation for this, the, the word, when you give somebody asylum, you know, we have asylum seekers, okay? The original, in ancient Greece and Rome, asylums were set up to provide protection for those who, who need uh, sanctuary and refuge, such as debtors and criminals and slave, uh, mistreated slaves and inhabitants of other states. So the asylum is actually a very positive gesture. Right. It's like when immigrants come to this country, they're seeking asylum from dangerous situations in their home countries. So asylum is not a bad thing. It's, it's, it's gotten a bad reputation because uh, of, of, popular, of popular images of it. But so when we talk about mental illness, we're not talking about some kind of mysterious, extreme version that you see on TV, whether it's news or TV or movies. So what we, what we want to ask you to do is let's put aside all those worst case scenarios right. and, and talk about the experience of mental illness that most of us are going to experience in our lifetime. Right. Okay? Because you're, you're absolutely right. Most of us are going to experience something. Um, right. And, but yet uh, an extremely small percentage of us will, will need any type of significant intervention like hospitalization or anything like that. Um, and even those who need temporary hospitalization, um, it is just that it's just temporary. It's not, it's not a, you know, we're going to put you in a lockdown facility for, you know, the rest of your life or anything like that. It's, it's, they're, they're temporary. And we have to remember that again, the, the vast majority of us um, will, will never require anything like that. That's right, right. And the National Institutes of Mental Health a few years ago um, sort of tried to reorient all of us by distinguishing two types of mental illness. One is AMI and the other is SMI. AMI is any mental illness, okay? And any mental illness is, is a mental, behavioral, or emotional disorder, um, but it, ha it can vary in its impact. It can vary, they range from no impairment to mild impairment to moderate impairment. And this is what most of us are experiencing. When you hear the figure that 20% of Americans, 20% of people in any country have a mental illness, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about AMI, any mental illness. And um, this is about 
50 million people, 51 million people. Okay, so about 20% of our population. The problem is less than half are receiving treatment. Okay, so that's a much larger problem. So the problem isn't big. The problem is that people with mental illness are not getting the help that they that they could use. I don't want to say need, but that they could use, they could benefit from. Right. Second category is the serious mental illness. Right. And these are these are the disorders where there's serious functional impairment that substantially interferes with your life in some way. And here we're talking about about 5%. Okay. Right. So this is a very, very small uh, number. But again, only about 65 are receiving treatment. But even with severe mental illness, only a tiny fraction have to be in locked facilities. Right. So even with this 5%, most of them are very, they're, they're, they're with us. I mean, they're, they're uh, functioning um, in some way, but not in locked units, not in insane asylums or institutions, okay? Right. So even the most severe are, uh, are probably not in locked facilities. If you, if you, don't um, believe that um, we often look for facilities right for for patients and they just aren't available I mean, right most of the most of these folks still live with family um, right. there, there are there are a few like like in our area there are a few um assisted living facilities that will will mm-hmm. assist in in um house individuals with um, serious mental health issues um, a lot of those are developmental issues. You know, mm-hmm. we have mm-hmm. to remember that for, for many of these, you know, even people with um, people who are diagnosed or struggling with autism and, and some of those kinds of developmental conditions right. are in those same kind of facilities because of, of the types of assistance they need. So right. we're not necessarily talking about, even with these, we're not talking about, um, what do they call them in, the, in like the, the movies, criminally insane. We're not talking right. about that. Right. Um, we're just talking about people who have a difficult time functioning and making decisions on their own right. um, in a way that keeps them and, and others safe. Right. Um, that's it. Um, and when we say safe, we don't even necessarily mean that they're dangerous. We just mean that, you know, that you can make decisions when you're driving a car, uh, right. you know, those kinds of things. Right. That's right. And um, so we have to we have to move uh, we have to change our thinking from when we think of mental illness as these most extreme cases to no most of us are struggling with these very issues you know right. and it's not a there shouldn't be this thing there's a stigma attached to SMI to serious mental illness mm-hmm. there shouldn't be a stigma attached to anything else because everything else is fairly normal right in that place okay so as it turns out, and this was not planned, as it turned out, mental illness made the news again this week, especially if you're a sports fan, mm-hmm. and most especially if you're a tennis fan, because uh, from May to June, late May to early June, is the time when the French Open uh, tennis tournament is being played. And this year, um, after the uh, first round, um, one of the, uh, well, she's actually ranked number two in the world, and if you know about tennis, number two in the world is, is like number two in any sport. Um, it's really, really high functioning. And this woman's name is Naomi Osaka. Um, and she refused 
to um, attend a post-match interview. Um, and because of at the French Open, so you all know how this works. Um, a player, it could be a baseball player, football player, a coach, um, tennis player, golfer. After a match, they're brought immediately to the um, TV cameras and they have to do this post-match interview. Right. And they're, they're asked very personal kinds of questions. Why did you lose? What happened in set three? You know, what happened here? What happened there? What were you thinking during this 15 second moment in your three hour match? Right. What, what happened? Well, I heard they interviewed a basketball player about it. And because there's a great uh, discussion going on in the sports world about these interviews that they do. And he said, he said, one of the things you have to understand is that your adrenaline is so high during a game and you're not down when you go in for the, I mean, you see athletes come in and they still have their uniforms on. Right. Okay. So they've been taken from the field where the, you have all this adrenaline flowing into a press room and you're expected to um, provide cogent explanations for what just happened. Well, if you lost and you've seen coaches walk out, right. they throw things out, walk out of the interview or they get angry with the reporter because emotions are running very high at that time. Ooh. So Naomi Osaka said, I can't do these, I can't do these interviews. I can't subject myself to these interviews. And she was fined $15,000 by the French Open because their, their contract says you will do these interviews. Okay. So she, she went to, on to Instagram and um, uh, Twitter to explain her decision. Right. And the decision quite simply was, I struggle with depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. And these press conferences make everything worse. And I just can't handle it. Mm -hmm. And it, what she's saying to us is these serve as a trigger to make my symptoms worse. And she said she began to experience these symptoms, or they, she probably had them before 2018. Mm -hmm. But she said, what brought them to the forefront was her victory against Serena Williams mm -hmm. at the U.S. Open in 2018. The reason that's significant is because if Serena Williams had won that match, that was the final match, she would have become the all-time something or other greatest uh, player. She needs one more victory, to, and that would have been her victory. And so everybody in the stands was cheering for her. Right. And in fact, after the match, people were booing Naomi Osaka because she had beaten her. And Serena Williams had to step in and say, stop booing. You know, this, that's not what you should be doing right now. And she went to her defense and she said she, she, she was better than I was on that day. So, so the athletes are saying, this is really, this is really hard to do. Right. Now, Serena Williams said, these kind of interviews made me stronger, okay? Well, that's fine because Serena Williams may not have an underlying mental health issue as Naomi Osaka does. But if you read the people, if you read the accounts, people say, oh, she's weak, oh, she's spoiled, oh, she's indulgent. And that's the reaction. She's saying, I have a mental illness and this is bad for me to do this. And other people are becoming very critical of her. So again, here's a person who is acknowledging this is a this is a world famous tennis player, world famous athlete who's saying, "I have this problem, and I have to be careful." Yeah, and I think that what 
it, it, it does make me, um, it makes me a little bit crazy when people say those kinds of things about folks who have right. mental health conditions that they're weak or that they, you know, that they're, you know, taken care of or they're, you know, coddled and all that kind of stuff. Because many times it's the, it's, you know, it's the inability to control a situation that really elicits a lot of our mental health That's problems. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you're in a situation and you don't know what's going to be asked or you or you don't have an answer to a question that, you know, will be asked. Right. Um, or, you know, they're going to be critical about something that you couldn't help or a mistake that you made or, you know, but when you don't have a lot of control over those things, that's what really sends our anxiety and, and depression and some of those kinds of things uh, off the scale. Mm -hmm because we like to have control. You know, we, we talked about that earlier with, you know, what kids like and what we, what we thrive in is, is predictability. We, we thrive in routine and structure, but yet um, when we put ourselves in situations where that is absent, where there's not those, that, that comfort, mm -hmm. we tend to struggle. And, and so to think that, you know, we would consider somebody weak because they can't handle those things, you know, at some level, there's something like that for all of us. I couldn't imagine what it'd be like to sit in front of 50 reporters where they're going to critique the way that I, the way that I performed on this podcast. Decisions you made. Or why did you say um so many times? Mm -hmm. Why did you, why did you look away from the camera? Why did you, right. I don't know the answer to those questions. That's right. But, but you'd really feel a lot of pressure. Right. And so if you have an underlying tendency, it's going to exacerbate that tendency. You're going to react. And, right. and that's all she was saying is that I can't subject myself to this because it's bad for my mental health. Okay? Right. And, and you think about Robin Williams and Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain and Prince and other celebrities who have taken their own lives. And you think, what, what, what if things had been different? You know, is there anything that we could have done? Because we all miss these people. I mean, right. all of us miss these people. And is there anything we could have done or anybody else who's close to you who decides to, who makes that decision? And you think, why, why, why are we here? Why, why can't we do this differently? Okay. So, um, because if Naomi Osaka had said, I have a migraine headache, right. nobody would have questioned it. So, oh, okay, she has a headache. I get it. Okay. Or um, I twisted my ankle and I can't walk and I'm in pain. But no problem. You, 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 it's a complete and acceptable explanation. But if she says, I have an anxiety disorder, oh, you're weak, oh, you're making excuses, oh, you're being a dilettante, you're being a, a show, you know, there, there shouldn't, why is it okay to have a physical problem and not a mental health problem? And so as part of this, um, there was an article in Good Morning, um, yeah, Good Morning America. And they, they did an interview with a, um, a woman by the name of Kelly Greenwood who had been an athlete. And, and, she, and she has generalized anxiety disorder. And she said twice in her life, her anxiety disorder led to debilitating depression because we, all, we know that anxiety and depression sort of hold hands with each other. And if you have one, you're likely to have the other. And, and she said, as a high performer, who had always been in competitive schools and workplaces, I was terrified of professional repercussions because I had worked so hard to create this career. And she was afraid if she admitted 
that she was she had an anxiety disorder or that she occasionally got depressed that she that her image would be would be shattered or that she would lose her job certainly she was completely aware of the stigma and the shame attached to mental illness because of that she started a nonprofit called mind share partners and its mission is to change the culture of the workplace so that people with mental health issues um, don't have to be afraid of repercussions if they admit that they have them. As it turns out, there was a, a survey done in 2019 that um, showed that um, she found that 50% of millennials and 75% of Gen Zers had left their jobs because of mental health reasons, some voluntarily, some involuntarily. And that um, it looks like younger people are beginning to attach less shame and stigma to having a mental health issue or having a mental illness. And it suggests that younger people might finally be getting this right. And I think of Naomi Osaka, who's 23 years old, she's part of this generation, that it doesn't have the same level of, of shame and stigma for younger people that it had for um, baby boomers or uh, older millennials. Absolutely, and I think that, um, and, and I think that there's a lot to to um, contribute to that. You know, there there are a lot of um, commercials. For example, um, I, I have I have the, the the subscription to Hulu where you still get commercials. Um, and, and it's fine because it's, there's some really interesting ones because there's actually a lot of mental health commercials happening now. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and commercials about getting help and, and, um, and, and talking about what depression is and, you know, what it's like when, um, you know, you say that you're struggling with depression and everybody has an excuse or everybody has a reason why. You know, right. oh, what do you have to be sad about? You know, I'll yeah, just cut right. it out. Um, just get over it. You know, all of those things that are not at all helpful, but that most people, many people will say. Um, but there's a lot of great um, ads and, and promotions out there to to address that issue. And I think that a lot of a lot of younger folks are seeing that. Right. And you see commercials for medications, which are, is a, sort of a recent phenomenon. And the people taking these medications are well-groomed and attractive and look, quote, normal. Okay. So again, it creates a different picture that maybe it's, maybe it's okay to, to have depression. Okay. Yeah. And so, so the first conclusion um, is that there is no need to be afraid or to be bewildered by the idea of mental illness. Right. Clearly, the severe mental illness that we typically think about is a very tiny fraction of this uh, world and um, that most of us um, are going to experience some type of mental health issue sometime in our lifetime. If right. you haven't, that's wonderful, but most of us will. Right. It, but it is time for us to begin thinking about mental illness that matches what mental illness really is for most of us, most of the time. Right. And this is where I think we should, the, the discussion should begin with, there really is no difference between mental illness and physical illness. While insurance companies and, and third party payers might wanna make this distinction, um, in the real world, 
and, and we understand that. We understand their financial uh, obligations. But in the real world, there's, there really is no difference between mental illness and physical illness. For example, physical illnesses range from mild to serious or severe. So you can have, you can have a cold, a physical illness, or you can have diabetes or epilepsy or, or some other fairly significant mental health issue that requires a high level of care. And, and, and even within those individual physical health conditions, even you know, within diabetes, you, you have mm-hmm. people with diabetes who can control it with their diet and those who need you know, daily routine medications. So right. um, th- there is a broad spectrum when it comes to most physical illnesses as well. So right. there is no difference between that um, in physical health as it is to mental health. That's right. And mental health is the same. It ranges from very mild to more, more serious. Second, we learn how to manage our physical illnesses. Right. We take insulin. We take anti-epileptic medications. We take painkillers. So we learn, uh, we do physical therapy. We do occupational therapy. So we learn how to manage physical illnesses. Well, exactly the same. You learn how to manage your mental illness. Right. Same thing. Yeah. Third, you are not your mental illness. And we used to think that, oh, this is just politically correct jargon. No, it's not. You're not epileptic. You have epilepsy. Right. You're not depressed. You have depression. Right. You're, you, you're not. And you shouldn't, you shouldn't label yourself that way because that's part of the stigma is, oh, I have epilepsy or I have this or I have, no, I am. No, you're not. Your illness doesn't define you. Right. You have, you are this person and you have an illness. Right. Might be physical, might be mental, but you have an illness. Okay. So once we know and can agree on what I have, you go to the doctor and the doctor says, oh, you have contact dermatitis. That's your physical illness. And okay, that makes sense. I changed my laundry detergent. So I have to go back to my own laundry detergent. That's the intervention, okay? So once you know and can agree on what you have, then you can move to uh, learning how to manage it. You learn about it, you learn how to manage it. Um, I'm always amazed when um, people who have diabetes, when they're first diagnosed with the illness, they don't know what A1C is. (laughs) They don't know what glucose, they don't know any of this stuff. But within a few months, they sound like an endocrinologist. Because right. they have this intimate knowledge of their uh, pancreas and blood levels and what their liver is doing and how much medication they need. And they adjust their medication based on what they're going to be eating and what they're going to be doing. And they have this very intimate knowledge of this disorder. They learn how to manage. I don't know that stuff right. because I haven't, I haven't needed to learn it. I don't, I'm not an endocrinologist um, and I don't have diabetes. So I don't know anything about that. But if I would ever get diabetes, I would learn about it and I would learn how to manage it. Same right. with a mental illness. Okay. Absolutely. And it's and it's the same way. You know, once you understand it, then you can work to manage it. And there's usually lifestyle things, there's dietary things, there's there's routine things that we can do to manage our mental health just like we do our physical health. That's right. So once you once you are um, once you realize, once you appreciate, once you come to the realization you have a mental illness then you learn about it and you learn how to manage it. And this begins with judging how it affects you and how seriously it affects you. So for those of you who are watching via YouTube, um, you notice that we have a little bit of a change um, right in the middle of us talking about some of these things. Um, we had a power outage um, at, at the office. And so 
Uh, but we're, we're back now and we'll try to resume right back where we were um, because we were talking about how, um, you know, once we know that we, once we have identified our mental health condition, then it, we have to, you know, sort of shift to understanding the severity and what limitations we have, um, understanding what we can do to manage it. Um, and so, you know, knowing that we have a mental health condition affords us the opportunity to then do something about it. Right. Um, right. Because when you talk about severity, I mean, you can have a condition like ADHD, but if you have a job where um, um, activity level is, is an asset, you know, like in an emergency room physician where you have to make decisions quickly and you're going from room to room. Whereas if you're studying for law school and you're, you're seated, you, you may have to, you may need um, another level of intervention. You may have to take medication. Whereas if you're a forest ranger, you may not need medic. You still have ADHD, but because of the job that you have, you don't need medication. So, so you judge the severity. How does it affect me? What is impaired? Do I have an impairment? Um, what is, how serious is my impairment? Is it something that I need to have an intervention for or can I live with it? Okay. So that's the first decision you make. And then the second decision is how do I manage it? Right. Um, are there medications that could reduce the symptoms? Right. Remember that medications are mainly designed to reduce your symptoms so that you can do all the other therapies that you might need to do. Right. Yeah. And I think it's important to recognize that, you know, many, if not most of our mental health conditions are managed through lifestyle changes. That's right. Um, that's you know, right. um, th there's a, there's a good portion of, uh, people with uh, mood related conditions depression, bipolar disorder, some of those things, especially those on the mild, milder end, um, who can manage it simply by having a good routine, making sure that they get enough sleep every day, making sure that they're not over committing themselves and doing some of that. Uh, those things that we know can trigger um, mood related episodes, they can, they can work to avoid those things by having that good routine and good schedule. And they can significantly reduce the probability or the likelihood of having a, a mood related episode. That's right. And so back we are to these routines that people need, you know, and that's one of the first things we say to people who are struggling with mental health issues. How are you sleeping? How are you eating? Are you exercising? Are you doing the things that keep your lives organized, that keep your life organized? Right. So, so when we talk about, um, you know, if somebody has a mental illness, we're not talking about those you know, serious mental, those folks with serious mental illnesses right. that, that require hospitalization or long-term, um, you know, um, as, as you mentioned earlier, asylums or um, assisted right. living facilities. We're not typically talking about people who would fall into that category or that level of need and support. We're, we're typically talking about people who are standing in line next to you at the grocery store, um, exactly. people who are, you know, you, you know, your cashiers or your boss, um, you know, people who you see and work with every day mm -hmm. who maybe have some mental health condition that interferes with their life at, at some points um, at, and at some level um, doesn't cause a serious impairment in functioning, but there's something there that, limits some things that they can do. Just like, you know, if you had a restricted range of motion in your shoulder, it's gonna limit some things that you can do, but it doesn't necessarily make you, you know, dis disabled. 
That's right. So you need, first of all, you need to be afraid of mental illness. And so what does it mean when you have a mental illness? Well, first of all, it means we're not saying you have a serious mental illness. We're saying you have some mental illness. Uh, We do mean that you have something that's interfering with normal life functioning. Okay. It does interfere whatever you're dealing with. It is, it is affecting something about your life. Um, is it serious enough to cause impairment? That's another decision that you need to make. Um, but even if it is causing an impairment, the impairment can be managed. And this is what Naomi Osaka did where, when she said, I have anxiety and depression and these news conferences make it worse. So I'm opting not to do it. And when they said, when the French Open said, you must and find her $15,000, she opted to withdraw from the tournament so that it wouldn't be an issue. And she said, you all have to play tennis. Mark Spitz, the Olympic swimmer, um, did a a little um, podcast, or not a podcast, but wrote an article about her decision. And Mark Spitz has severe ADHD, and he has talked about that um, um, in... um, in um, various articles and he um he was complimentary for her for two reasons number one that she came out and said i have these i have this mental illness so he he had positive things to say about that but also that she took decisive action in other words she didn't put herself into a situation that she knew might make it worse right so he congratulated her for managing, um, I didn't mean Mark Spitz, I meant Mark Phelps. Mark Phelps? Yeah, Phelps, the um, Olympic swimmer. Um, And he congratulated her and said, we we congratulate you for A, acknowledging because a person of her stature can help take away the stigma if we allow her to, but also that she took decisive action to manage it. And and Michael Phelps is a a very, very- I'll get it right pretty soon is a very big proponent of mental health. He's, he is a spokesperson for various mental health um, uh, agencies and organizations um, and companies. And, um, and, and it helps considerably um, because, you know, it, it, when we understand that it affects more people, um, the, the more people that we understand that it affects, the more we recognize that we're not alone, that it's not, um, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that we won't be able to accomplish things in our life, that we won't be able to do things that we want and need to be able to do in our lives. Um, so, yeah, so it's great that these individuals are out talking about it. That's right. And we don't want any more Robin Williams, Kate Spade, right. Prince. Um, Absolutely. We, we don't want that to happen anymore. So, while there is this tendency to stigmatize or to criticize, um, we don't want these things to be happening anymore. And so we need to come to terms with, with mental illness. So number one, you don't have to be afraid of it. Number two, maybe it's time that we start talking about mental health and mental wellness rather than mental illness. And Bernie, you and I have had this conversation many times. Absolutely. In fact, when we talked about what name to use for our practice, we always moved in the direction of mental health and mental illness, wellness rather than mental illness, okay? So rather than thinking about mental illness in its most severe form, 
the insane asylum and the institutions and the homeless. How about in how about if we think about mental illness the way we think about physical illness? Mm-hmm. With physical illness, what are we seeing today? Instead of abusing your body with drugs and alcohol and food and lack of exercise until your body breaks down, and then you need a, a surgeon to come in and fix it. Right. Instead, we're, we're being encouraged to take care of our bodies, to eat right, to sleep right, to exercise, so that we prevent physical illness. Right. We should be doing exactly the same thing with mental illness. And that's what Osaka did. She said, in order for me to manage this, this is what I have to do. Okay? Right. And, and she came into conflict with the, with the uh, French Open, but this is what she needed to do to manage her illness. Right. And, and you know, and it, we're getting um, a little bit longer on this podcast. We won't necessarily go into it here, but I, I think that this is where we had that entire discussion about lifestyle choices um, and how we can take back control and in management of some of these issues instead of giving that management to someone else. Um, we did a podcast before about how so many people opt to live a life where they're unhappy and choose to take medications to deal with their unhappiness instead of making decisions in their life that could make them happy. So Asaka, she could have very, she, she probably could have um, taken a, a benzodiazepine, a Xanax, to reduce her anxiety and she could have gone out there and she may have been able to do that. Now she would have been a little bit limited in other ways because of the effects of the um, Xanax, but she could have done that to deal with her anxiety and manage it that way. Right. But, but why put yourself in a situation that you know is not going to be healthy for you um, right. and, and manage it with medication instead of just saying, you know, this, this part of my life, it doesn't make me happy. It doesn't, um, it, it makes me feel very uncomfortable. It makes me feel, um, right like I have a problem. So I'm going to change that part of my life. That's right. Again, there if she had a, there's sometimes consequences, if she had a, but right. If she had a shoulder injury, right. She's a tennis player. You would say, okay, take some time off, do this, do this, do this. She's saying I have a mental illness. So do what you need to do to keep yourself healthy. Yeah. Right? Again, there is this, there is this vast chasm between how we think of physical illness and how we think of mental illness. And yet they're the same thing. Right. Okay? So how does this all get us back to our practice in Lakeland? Okay. Um, so most of the time, most of the time, parents are going to be, parents are going to be dealing with garden variety, disobedience, dishonesty, avoidance, deal-making, power struggles. Most parents are dealing with those things with their children in some way or another. But sometimes, sometimes it's more than that, okay? But it's still okay because while most of the problems that are brought to our offices are probably normal variations, I think it's say even even coming to professionals, many people don't even come to professionals who are dealing with it, but even the, the number of people who come in here, I would say that in most cases, we're dealing with behavior that we would say is somewhere on the normal spectrum. Right. Okay. Your child might be a little disobedient. Your child may have lied to you. Your child may try to avoid chores, but that's sort of garden variety variations okay 
but it might be more than that. Right. But even if it is, it's okay. Right. Because we, we practice the law, well, I call it the law of parsimony. Mm-hmm. And the law of parsimony is you have the simplest explanation with the fewest assumptions. Right. So you, so you always start with, it's probably not a serious problem. Right. Okay. Chances are it's a normal variant. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't go looking for unicorns. It's probably a horse. Okay. Right. You can look for a unicorn if you want, but it's probably not a unicorn. It's probably a horse. So the law of parsimony says the simplest explanation first. If it's not that, and it might be a little bit more than that, it's probably a mild AMI of any mental illness, or it might be moderate, or it might be a severe. If we work through all those standard uh, mental illnesses and we're still not getting to the bottom of it, we might be looking at a mild severe mental illness. Right. So it's still a significant mental illness, but it's mild and can be managed. Right. Because what we have to recognize is that 80% or more of of us are within that normal range, that that range of normalcy. and, and as we get from normal to severe, serious mental illness, the, the, it funnels down to a very small portion of the population. And so yeah. with each step of, of worsening symptoms or worsening situations, the, the likelihood is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And so let's not go from, you know, if, if a eight-year-old comes in and start, is talking about a, um, an imaginary friend, Let's not go from this is normal to um, she's got, um, you know, psychosis and she's got, and we diagnose her with schizophrenia and say that she needs to be hospitalized. Right. There's a lot of stuff in between there. Or your child has a temper tantrum. Yeah. It must be bipolar disorder. No, it's probably not bipolar disorder. It's probably just a temper tantrum. Right. Chances are. The, The key is to know when you're entering this 20%, right? okay? When, when am I getting close to the 20%, okay? Because sometimes we do get there. Again, not a serious problem. I mean, I've had four children. Periodically, they, they like I, dip into the, tw- into the 20%. Mm-hmm. You know, we all do. So right. it's, not a, it's not a big deal. So you can suspect that it's probably just a garden variety mental illness when you're just not making progress with your child. You've tried everything and just nothing is working, okay? Um, when all the normal things that you do with kids don't work with this one, you can talk to teachers. Mm-hmm. And every teacher that you talk to will say, that all this stuff works. The, the management system that I've set up in my classroom works for almost all kids, but it doesn't work for these two, mm-hmm. okay? That's probably because those two are in that 20%. Yeah. Parents will say, well, I do the same thing with him that I do with his brothers, but he reacts differently. Mm-hmm. He reacts differently, maybe because he's in the 20%. Mm-hmm. So if everything you're doing is not working, if everything you're, that you do with, other, with your other children is working just fine, but doesn't work with this child, it may be that your child is part of that 20%. That needn't panic you, that needn't frighten you. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of ways to manage the 20% because we're not talking about severe psychosis 
in almost all cases. We're talking about sort of garden variety, mental illnesses all of us experience. Absolutely. And, and even if we do get into the, um, that 20%, you know, there, there are treatments and our, our best practices with treatments include medication, sometimes include medication. We don't always need medication. That's right. um, therapy is often very effective in managing most mental health conditions. Um, right. You know, even from, from mild to severe um, mental health conditions. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, getting yourself into therapy, into treatment it is important. Uh, don't deny it. Don't refuse to accept it. You know, those, those, those different categories that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, you know, don't, don't try to resist that idea that it could be a mental health condition that's interfering with your functioning. You know, talk to somebody, make sure that you get a correct diagnosis, an accurate, you know, view of what's going on and then begin treatment. Uh, treatment doesn't have to last forever. Treatment doesn't have to include medication. Um, and, you know, get work with somebody that you can trust and that you can connect with and, and get the treatment and support and help you that you need so that then you have the skills and so you no longer need that support and you can cope with it on your own. All right, that's right. Um, and again, you, this, this needn't alarm you. Uh, the, the, the idea of mental illness needn't alarm you. It needn't frighten you. These, these are the, the mental illnesses that we're talking about day in, day out, mm -hmm. um, should not frighten, alarm, or, or worry you in any way. They're all manageable. Absolutely. The difference is, is that the typical, the, the approaches that we use for most people, like simple behavioral things like, well, if you do this, um, you're gonna be grounded or you're gonna be put on restriction or, okay. Well, that doesn't work with these kids. It doesn't work with kids who have mental illness. It doesn't work as well, but there are still many, many other things that you can do. Absolutely. Okay. So it's not something you need to be afraid of any more than you should be afraid of, um, of a headache. You know, you don't fear it. Once you know what you're dealing with, then, then, then you learn how to manage it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, I think that's it for today. Um, what a morning it has been from uh, the power outage and you switching computers and, um, now phones and all these things going off because of, of that. Um, but we're, we'll wrap up and um, we'll, we'll come back next week and hopefully not have to worry about power outages. Exactly. <laughs> so we, we apologize for all the drama today. Yeah. <laughs> it's not diagnostic, but there's a lot of drama today going on. I have no idea why it's not a full moon, um, but things are a little bit out of my control this morning for some reason. It certainly sounds like it. So, for which right. I, for which <laughs> I for today. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid. Mm -hmm.